It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Steve takes an hour every weeknight to answer your spiritual questions and strengthen your understanding of the Bible. Tune in Monday through Friday, 12 p.m. Central, on frequency 3215, or at 11 a.m. Central, on frequency 13845, WWCR, Nashville, Tennessee, USA. This is true news, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. Today's Monday, November 13, 2023. Darkness has engulfed the world in the closing days of 2023. We are witnesses to atrocities that I have never seen in my lifetime. In particular, the world is silently watching the Israeli Zionists attack hospitals, kill children, and cut off food and water to patients. There's no outcry from world leaders. Well, where do we go from here? What's next? How low can the Zionists sink in the blood of children without provoking an outcry from the civilized world? Doc Burkhardt and I are here today. And uh, to give you a sobering assessment of what has happened in the world over the weekend, and uh, I, I will do my best not to let my emotions uh, be um, too obvious. It is grueling to watch it. It is absolutely grueling to watch what the Jews are doing to the children. I'm not worried about what the ADL says about me. I'm not worried about APAC. The Jews are killing children. That's the truth. They're not Martians. They're people in the world who proudly call themselves Jews. And so, I will boldly say the Jews are killing children. Come and get me. You want to do something about it? Come and get me. Netanyahu is a baby killer. He's a war criminal. Hitler was a a war criminal. Netanyahu is in the same league as Adolf Hitler. crime that the civilized world was guilty of in the late 30s and the early 40s was its silence as Hitler killed the Jews. The crime of the world in 2023 is its silence as the Jews kill the Palestinian babies. You know, there are 
Christians who don't want to be seen with me are embarrassed to be associated with me. But in the 30s and 40s, there were Christians in Germany who were embarrassed to be associated with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a God-fearing Lutheran pastor who refused to be quiet as the Nazis committed their atrocities. I am a God-fearing pastor who refuses to be quiet as the Jews commit their atrocities. I do not fear the Jews. I fear God. Bonhoeffer was given a musical death. They hanged him with a piano wire. Well, we we remember Bonhoeffer today as a hero, a brave, courageous hero who lost his life speaking out against war criminals. I am speaking out against the Jewish war criminals and I denounce them in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm going to show you today I'm actually going to hold back. I'm not going to show you all the videos I saw over the weekend because they are gut-wrenching. Absolutely gut-wrenching to see what the Jews are doing to the babies. We'll start with this first one. This is Al Jazeera. Gaza's Al-Quds Hospital ceases operation amid Israeli attacks. Right now, Doc, there's only one hospital still operating in Gaza. Just one. One. One hospital. Okay. So this is the uh, Palestine Red Crescent Society said the Al-Quds Hospital, the second largest in Gaza, has ceased operations due to a fuel shortage as Israeli forces continue to bomb the besieged enclave. A statement released on Sunday said, Quote, the hospital has been left to fend for itself under ongoing Israeli bombardment, posing severe risk to the medical staff, patients, and displaced civilians. This cessation of services is due to the depletion of available fuel and power outage. Medical staff are making every effort to provide care to patients and the wounded even resorting to unconventional medical methods amid amid dire humanitarian conditions and a shortage of medical supplies, food, and water. I don't think I've ever admired doctors, nurses, and hospital workers as much as I do these Palestinians. Doctors staying in hospitals as the Israelis. Do you know yet over the weekend the Israeli snipers were shooting through the hospital windows? I saw that. Do you, you listen to what I just said, yes. folks. Israeli military snipers fired through the windows of the hospitals over the weekend. How low can you be and still be a human? The United Nations issued this uh, statement today. Uh, Babies dying in hospital 
amid scenes of devastation. The UN's health agency, WHO, World Health Organization, said on Sunday night that according to Gaza Health Authorities, 37 premature babies at the hospital were relocated over the weekend to an operating room without their incubators while health workers tried to heat the room. According to the latest media reports on Monday, six babies at Al-Shifa have died. Uh, Dr. Tedros, the chief of the World Health Organization, said the world cannot stand silent while hospitals, which should be safe havens, are transformed into scenes of death, devastation, and despair. Dr. Tedros called for an immediate stop to the fighting. Doc, things are so extreme that I'm at the place of commending Dr. Tedros of the World Health Organization. That's a stretch because we've we've had some words about Dr. Tedros over the years. It's so extreme that I'm supporting the United Nations. That's how extreme the atrocities are. That even the UN and Rick Wiles are on the same same page. page. I haven't moved. I haven't changed at all. But what the Jews are doing to the children is so gross and outrageous and indefensible that all people with any morality at all, with a conscience, must condemn it. You can't. Well, people are supporting it. Oh, yeah. There are people. There's very few people. Actually, Doc, there's very few people who are supporting it. Who know? The people who know what's going on, it's actually a very small number of people who are supporting it. It is primarily right-wingers in the United States. I say the right-wing, the Republican Party, the Lindsey Grahams and so forth, the religious right in America, the John Hagees, the Christian Zionists. That's pretty much it. That's yeah, it. And Israel, of course. And of course, the state of Israel, yes. But after that, there's not that many people supporting them. The rest of the world is repulsed. So, the UN also released this report attacks on or near Gaza hospitals, unconscionable, reprehensible. Reprehensible. Doc, the United Nations de- decreed that Israel's attacks are reprehensible. I've never in my lifetime seen the UN denounce Israel like this. They've had some issues with Israel. They've had issues, but never have they denounced them as reprehensible. Well, uh, go ahead. According to this article, and this was by the UN press office, in a statement, the Israeli military denied that it had targeted the Al Shifa hospital in Gaza, which they claim is above a Hamas command post, but have acknowledged that fighting is happening, quote, around, unquote, the facility. UN Relief and Humanitarian Affairs Chief Martin Griffiths tweeted that in light of horrific reports of attacks, there could be no justification for acts of war in healthcare facilities, leaving them with no power, food, or water, and shooting at patients 
and civilians trying to leave. Is he, you want to repeat that, Doc? Yeah, they they were shooting the Israeli forces trying to leave. That's right. He said, "This is unconscionable, reprehensible, and must stop. Hospitals must be places of greater safety, and those who need them must trust that they are places of shelter and not of war." Now, tweeting later in the day, the head of the UN Health Agency, Dr. Tedros, said that the WHO's regional agency had lost contact with its uh, staff at Al Shifa. There are reports that some of those who fled the hospital have been shot at, wounded, or killed, and the latest reports say the hospital was surrounded by tanks. The WHO is gravely concerned about the safety of health workers, hundreds of sick and injured patients, including babies on life support, who are no longer on life support, and displaced people who remain inside the hospital. Estimates of up to 20,000 people in that hospital right now, Rick. I, I saw, uh, we may have the video, I, I saw a video about an hour ago of a newborn that should be on an incubator uh, trying to breathe. Its little chest um, was heaving. heaving. Um, about an hour before we started, somewhere around 11 a.m. Eastern today, uh, breaking news started appearing on uh, various Middle Eastern Arab news sites saying that heavy fighting had erupted at the Al-Shifa hospital. And it, it appears that the, uh, the Jews are making a uh, full military assault on the hospital. Um, I want to say something. What the Jews are doing to the Gazan people, in particular to the people trapped in a hospital, Doctor, just uh, several weeks ago, the, the Jews denied they bombed a hospital. Two weeks later, they don't deny it at all. No. There was no outcry. Nobody condemned them. They got away with it. So now they openly do it. Two weeks ago, people were shocked. And, There's no way Israel bombed a hospital. In fact, uh, who was it? Naftali Bennett? Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't he? I mean, he tweeted that night. Uh, I think it was October 29th, uh, the, uh, the first hospital that had been struck. You know, he hasn't tweeted since then, by the way. Right. So. Well, the point I'm making is that in, in, a, in a short period of two weeks, we've gone from uh, the, the first hospital being bombed and people in America, uh, the, particularly the Christian Zionists, saying, how dare you accuse God's chosen people of bombing a hospital. How dare you? To okay. where we're at now, where it's okay to bomb a hospital because there's a, a terrorist inside. There's there. a little baby terrorist that are going to grow up to be terrorists someday. Look, what we're seeing, what we're witnessing, the reprehensible behavior of the Jews is all the evidence you need of why the world must prevent the Jews from ever gaining global power. They're showing us what they're capable of doing. They're showing us what they will do to anybody who stands in their way. And the world 
cannot forget what has happened in Palestine in the past month. When this war is over, the world must demand the dismantling of the Zionist state. It cannot be permitted to continue. Um, I'm going to show you, uh, this is a still that uh, Dr. Tedros uh, tweeted today. Uh, this is on his uh, Twitter account. So uh, he, ahead, he uh, tweeted that the WHO has managed to get in touch with health professionals at the Al-Shifa Hospital. The situation is dire and perilous. It's been three days without electricity, without water, and with very poor Internet, which has severely impacted our ability to provide essential care. The constant gunfire and bombings in the area have exacerbated the already critical circumstances. Tragically, the number of patient fatalities has increased significantly. Regrettably, the hospital is not functioning as a hospital anymore. The world cannot stand silent while hospitals, which should be safe havens, are transformed into scenes of death, devastation, and repair, despair. Uh, and he's calling for a ceasefire now. That was yesterday. Right. It has worsened today. It has worsened in the in the past hour. See, it's dark. Nighttime has come to Palestine, and that's when the Israelis unleash hell on terrified babies and children in a hospital with no lights. Can you imagine what it's like, Doc? No, I, I can't. I, it'd be like hell. Imagine being a child in the hospital. Your mother's corpse is on the floor. Your mother has died. You're still alive. There's no electricity. And there are soldiers shooting through the windows. And you're three or four years old. That, my friend, is what the Jews are doing to the Palestinians. You know, I've tried in the past to always refer to the Zionists to separate Zionists from the Jewish population. But they are adamant in declaring that Zionism and Jewry is one and the same. So I'm going to take them at their word. And now I'm not going to call them Zionists. I'm going to call them Jews. So all Jews own this bloodshed. All the Jews of the world are responsible now for the killing of the Palestinian children. You own it. Israel's your little political experiment. You take ownership of the death of the children. Uh, I'm going to show you a video. This is, uh, these are the premature babies. This is over the weekend. So this is, this is worsened in the past hour because open gunfire and shelling of the hospital has started in the past hour. But this is a video from, from yesterday 
at the Al-Shifa hospital, you're going to see the little premature babies who've been disconnected from their incubators. Let's watch it. So premature babies have begun dying at Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital after their incubators were damaged in Israeli attacks and lost power. They are now lying on the floor in the cardiac units and they are covered with some blankets in order to avoid hypothermia. These uh, babies should have been, they, they should have been in the incubators, of course, and they are surrounded by Israeli uh, armed forces or shooting at the hospital. We learned this morning, snipers were shooting through the windows and into the staff. Uh, we also uh, learned that one nurse was killed in the neonatal ICU. Parents of these babies were among those forced to leave northern Gaza. Honestly, today when I spoke with the Red Cross, literally they told me that they have suspended their operations in Gaza and they have no news about Mira and Dahab. No news at all. I don't know whether they are all right or not. Honestly, this is something you cannot describe when you reach to such a point where you can't provide safety to your newborn children. Now, those are reports that you'll see on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. You won't see any of those reports. Doc, the Jews shot a nurse in an ICU unit. Sniper. A sniper shot a nurse. A neonatal nurse. What kind of human trash are these people? I don't care what happens to me. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to denounce them. This is the worst thing I've seen in my lifetime. I'm 70 years old. I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. I never thought I'd live to see the day that military snipers would shoot nurses and babies through the window of a hospital. I never, I never thought I'd see something like this. And the world is silent for fear of the Jews. Uh, even um, so, some of the some of the establishment news media is starting to get a little queasy about it. Uh, here's Piers Morgan. Uh, he put out this uh, tweet. Um, for, for those that are listening to us, this is an image of the. Uh, uh, the babies that were moved out of their incubation units into the operating room to keep them warm. And Piers Morgan tweets this. This is so heartbreaking. Dozens of newborn babies detached from their incubators at Al-Shifa Gaza Hospital due to power and oxygen running out. Israel must do more to get them to safety and medical treatment. Israel must do more to get them to safety? Yeah. Israel's the one killing them. Right. Because they think that they're little baby terrorists. And if you don't think these Jews in Israel are not among themselves saying, we have to wipe them all out. That's exactly what they're saying. I've seen the videos of their rabbis quoting Old Testament scripture saying, wipe them out. Kill everyone, including the babies. That is the mentality of the Jews in Israel. Kill every Palestinian including the infants. They have no remorse whatsoever that they are killing these babies. Let me ask you this, Rick. What's next after the Palestinians? Let's say that they manage to wipe out 
every single Palestinian that exists on the planet. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's say they were able to do that. What's next? Well, they're going to continue their quest for greater Israel. But at some point, their, their eventual goal is the entire world. They, they truly desire and, and believe that they are entitled to rule the world. That is not an anti-Semitic trope. That is their theology. And I can show you the quotes of their rabbis that they see themselves as entitled to rule all the Gentile world. They believe it, Doc. And these radical Jews are now becoming militant and saying they have an obligation to fulfill the commandments of God to rule the Gentiles. I'm I'm becoming increasingly convinced that Zionism is the Antichrist beast system. It is the monster that will rule the world before Christ returns. There is only one force on earth that is thoroughly Antichrist, and that is Zionism. By its definition, it's Antichrist. Of course. Of course. It's it's Antichrist. Anybody or anything that denies that Jesus Christ is God and human flesh is Antichrist. I believe they will be the force that will terrorize the world on behalf of Lucifer. I have, uh, I have thought for several years, particularly since uh, the uh, pandemic, the man-made pandemic, that Lucifer has been turned loose from the abyss. I, I can't, I can't come up with a a better explanation for the proliferation of evil in the past several years, other than Lucifer has been turned loose from the abyss. And I'm I'm wrestling deeply, wrestling with uh, the evil nature of man. And, Doc, I, I'm waking up at all hours through the night. I'm, I'm troubled. My soul is troubled. Something very evil is moving about on the earth. Something very evil. There is a wicked evil force that's gathering strength on the earth. And I'm wondering... What's it going to be like a year from now? Yes. Two years from now. Do you think a year ago we would be talking about Jews shooting babies through hospital windows? What are we going to talk about next year? Where do the Jews go from here? What's the next level of depravity? This is depravity. What's the next level of Jewish depravity? What are we going to be talking about two, three, four years from now? Chemical weapons? I don't know, Doc. I don't know. I don't know. You already have members of the Knesset calling for nuclear weapons to be used against Gaza. You've got to remember, these people are armed with weapons of mass destruction. Real weapons of mass destruction, not imaginary ones. 
hundreds of nuclear warheads, uh, neutron bombs, uh, DNA-specific viruses that can wipe out entire population groups. That little entity called Israel has the capacity of wiping out mankind. It's quite frightening. And Jerusalem is the great harlot. The Bible tells us so. It is the great harlot, the city that killed our Lord. And there's a reason that Jesus Christ, when he comes back, splits that city. There's going to be a great earthquake just before he comes back that will devastate Jerusalem. But I believe that we're witnessing the appearance of the Antichrist beast system, which means that the Antichrist himself is about to appear, Doc. First the falling away, then the revelation of the son of perdition. So the falling away has been in motion for quite some time. We're now seeing this Antichrist spirit rise up on the planet. So that leader is coming. And when we talk about the falling away, we're not talking about uh, unbelievers falling away. They have nothing to fall away from. No. We're talking about the church, yes. people in people the church. People who claim to be Christians will away. fall away from truth. If you, if you don't know truth, you can't fall away from truth. Um, so, this next one, um, oh, I want to show you, the, the, the uh, United Nations held a uh, moment of silence. Doc, 101 UN employees have died in Gaza. I just didn't realize it was that number. This is the highest number of UN employees ever to be killed in a matter of less than two months. 101 UN workers providing food and humanitarian aid to the Palestinians have been killed. And the UN is getting upset with Israel. Rightfully so. And so the United Nations observed a moment of silence today for, for the 101 employees who have died in Gaza. The largest toll of UN workers in the UN's 78-year history. Uh, staff at the UN offices in Geneva bowed their heads as a candle was lit in memory of the 101 employees of the UN Palestinian Refugee Agency. Uh, the UN flags around the world flew at half mass. Um, I've got a, a, a video. We'll show you. This happened today in Geneva. Let's watch. And uh, we're, we're seeing the UN um, Secretary General Antonio Guterres uh, walking into the UN uh, assembly room. Uh, he's surrounded by other UN officials. And uh, he's making his way uh, to the front of the room. Again, this happened uh, this morning in Geneva on Monday. And uh, the UN... Um, 
staff that gathered this morning in Geneva uh, bowed their heads in one minute of silence in memory and honor of the 101 United Nations workers, humanitarian workers, not UN soldiers, not UN peacekeepers, UN humanitarian workers killed by Israel. And, and so the UN, Doc, this is the largest number of UN workers killed in one conflict. And so I would like they realize to it's to Israel that's doing it. General right. in a minute of silence to mourn and honor the colleagues who have lost their lives in Gaza. And so uh, what we just witnessed there was the uh, moment of silence that the United Nations observed in Geneva today. Doc, look at this uh, photo taken at the Al-Shifa hospital. This, uh, I just found this a couple hours ago. What do you see? Uh, those aren't Hamas tanks. Those are Israeli tanks burned so, out. So what do you see? You see, what, a dozen burned tanks? I would say 10 to 12 easily there. Uh, but yeah, these are Israeli tanks. And so that tells me that there... There's intense fighting going on. Right. That's, that is at the Al-Shifa hospital. Right. If that's the kind of fighting taking place in front of the hospital... Can you imagine what this is like? And what what did the uh, Hamas fighters, how did they stop a dozen tanks? Obviously not with rocks. <laughs> they, these tanks are burned out. Right. We're not hearing these reports. We're not seeing anything like this. No, I think Israel's really been taking it on the chin and it, they can't get that news out at all they can't you know get that information out there at all rick but if if this picture's a, you know accurate that this is near the al-shifa hospital and more monitor has uh, been pretty dependable as far as its uh, coverage and everything is concerned uh easily a dozen israeli tanks burned out uh so, obviously, there is more to the story than we're being told. Uh, shocking. Um, all right, well, here's, here's what's definitely more shocking. I want you to read this, tele- this uh, headline from the London Telegraph. You, I saw this last night and just I just froze for a moment looking at the headline. U.S. backs Israel attacking hospitals used as military bases. The United States government under Joe Biden endorsed Israel attacking the hospitals. If they were military bases. But who's to say? There's still babies in the hospitals. I, I and so, uh, America's illustrious national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, who's a Jew, gave the green light to B.B. the baby killer to murder all the babies he can murder. Let's just say it the way it is, folks. The United States government officially has green-lighted Israel's slaughter of Palestinian children. Saying it's unfortunate that the children are there. 
But war is war. Yeah, there are casualties in war, yeah. Rick. You know, you got to, you know, they get, they're getting in the way. The babies are getting in the way of the Israeli soldiers. Besides, they're going to be terrorists anyway, right? Right. They're just going to grow up and and wear suicide belts. Uh, this next one is from a Turkish uh, news agency. Uh, oh no, excuse me. Uh, yes, this is also Turkish. Uh, Israel rejects Emmanuel Macron's call to stop killing babies. President Macron of France, who at one time worked for the Rothschild banking dynasty. We'll just say, you know, for the record, we'll just assume he no longer works for the Rothschilds. Okay. Okay. For the record. That's a big leap, but okay. Right. But he was so disturbed by it that he told Bibi the baby killer, Bibi, you need to stop killing babies. That's not nice. That's not good. It's you're you're it's making it. PR. You're making it really difficult for me to back you, BB. And BB the baby killer told Macron to get lost. Yes. Do you think a man that kills babies is afraid of the president of France? That is Herod Netanyahu the Great. Herod Netanyahu the Great, Bibi the Baby Killer. He will go down in history as a baby killer. I told you when I saw him in Davos, I saw the face of a man that would kill his own mother if she got in the way of Zionism. I said that when I came back from Davos. I said, that man had shark eyes. He would kill his own mother if she got in the way of Zionism. Man, I didn't know how accurate I was. He'd kill babies if they're in the way of Zionism. Uh, you sent this story over uh, over the weekend, Rick, and I was like, imagine this. I, I'll just read the headline here. Uh, I can't sleep due to the large number of child corpses I've seen. That's coming from a Gaza grave digger. He's traumatized. When you can traumatize a grave digger. Doc, he, he said he buried 600 in one day. In one day? One day. He's buried 600 in one day, and he said most of them were children. And he's traumatized. He can't sleep. See, the human, the human mind is not wired to see dead babies. That's a normal thing to be traumatized by the sight of dead babies. But it doesn't traumatize B.B. the baby killer because he's demon-possessed. You better believe these people are demon-possessed. Anybody that condones and approves the slaughter of babies is demon-possessed. Let's take a short break. Um, Folks, we're in World War III. We're in World War III. Snap out of it. All right. Get a grip on what's happening and get ready. 
prepare your home for what's coming in 2024. I'll be back in a minute. God's people are smarter than ants. Even ants know it's wise to store food. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. I'm Dr. Robert A. Schuler, and I'm on a mission to encourage Christian families to prepare for tough times. That's why I'm endorsing American Reserves. American Reserves can help you build a food storehouse like Joseph in Egypt. American Reserves offers emergency food packages for a month or full year. Buckets of freeze-dried beef and chicken, assorted vegetables and fruits, and powdered eggs are ready for quick delivery. A panic can cause store shelves to be emptied in hours. Be wise. Be ready. Order food at AmericanReserves.com. AmericanReserves.com, they have the food waiting on you to place your order. Um, I think we're all stunned by what's happening. It's, It's hard to process it. We're living in perilous times. Jesus said that there would be perilous times and wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes in many places and pestilences, which are plagues. We're just getting ramped up. And that's what I was thinking last night, Doc. As I was lying in bed, I woke up, I don't know, somewhere around 1.30 a.m. took me a while to get back to sleep. Um, And I wake up and I I start praying for the children in Palestine. I think about those hospitals. think about the children in the hospitals. Is anybody praying for them? Anybody interceding for them? Anybody interceding for these little children? And so the Lord wakes me up at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, so I pray for them. But I, I, last night I was thinking, what, what are we going to be thinking? What are we going to be, see, what are we going to see before Christ comes back? If, if I can't handle this, how am I going to handle the full frontal attack of Antichrist? Because Jesus said, if God does not shorten the days, no flesh would survive. Whatever the Antichrist does, it's going to be so horrific that the very existence of mankind will be at stake. And God the Father will rise up. He'll stand up from his throne and say, that's enough. That's enough. Son, go get my church. That's enough. I can't take anymore. Go get them. That's what's coming. Physically, it's not possible to prepare to get through all this. I mean, I'm, we're all prepping. But it's impossible to prep to get through all of it. Right. At some point, you are completely at the mercy of God. And we'll need supernatural intervention to stay alive. How will we get through these things? How deep is your faith? How, how close are you to Christ? 
Is there a place that you'll walk away from Christ? Will the pressure become so great that you will deny Christ? How much pressure can you take? All of us need to be asking ourselves these questions. Because this is just the beginning. What we're seeing at the end of 2023, this is just the warm-up act. And if there's another group out there more wicked than these Jews, I don't know them yet. I, I don't. Maybe they are. Maybe there's another group that's going to rise up and be more wicked than BB the baby killer. But right now, he's the most wicked man on the planet. Ynet News reported, and this is, this is a uh, story covered by Times of Israel, but the original was Ynet News. Israel seeks to appoint Tony Blair as the Gaza humanitarian coordinator. Boy, bring in a new world order, flunky. Tony, weapons of mass destruction, Blair. Yes. Silver tongue. Tony Blair's tongue is so smooth He's, his tongue is like a warm knife slicing through butter that's the reason for Tony Blair to be the humanitarian coordinator because of his propaganda skill stock that's it he is a master propagandist remember Saddam Hussein London was 45 minutes away from destruction. Yes. 45 minutes from destruction. We've got to declare war on Saddam Hussein. 45 minutes away from destruction. He's a liar. But he is a supreme propagandist. And the, the reason that BB the baby killer wants to appoint Tony Blair as the humanitarian coordinator... It isn't so that Tony Blair will go in and save the babies. No. It's so that he can hold press conferences and divert attention away from B.B. the baby killer killing the babies. That's right. Because Blair is a great public speaker. And he will, he will spend the next several weeks telling the gullible news media that he is arranging for humanitarian aid to go to the children. Well, by the time it gets there, which is not even going to arrive, the babies will be dead. Right. So, in fact, I saw a story today. Are you, this is Russian. Uh, so you got to put. You got to understand. It's, it's it's Russian. It could be Russian propaganda. I don't know. I just saw the article on a Russian website. It claims that the Russian intelligence agencies. That's why I said this could be. Russian propaganda. But it says Russian intelligence agencies know that the Biden administration has been frustrated with BB the baby killer's slow actions in Gaza. No, they want they want to get this over with. They want to get it over with quickly. Okay. Now, that may not be accurate. Because it did appear for quite some time that the Biden administration was trying to slow down BB. So I don't know which story is true, but 
the, the Russian article said this is looking bad for the Democrats and Biden. They want to get this over with quickly. BB just needs, BB needs to get his troops in there and just level Gaza and get it over with. But BB risks Hezbollah and Iran coming into the war. I was told, and I have no way to verify this. I was given a a Iraqi television video, but it's in Arabic, so I I, I don't know. I can't prove that's what the people are saying on a TV report. But what I was told was that the Iraqi popular resistance forces that's kind of like a semi-official army in Iraq. It's, it's, it, the way I would describe it, Doc, is it's an army so big that the government can't tell them to disband. Not officially a government military, but too big for the government to tell them, boys, go home. This is in Iraq. In Iraq. Okay. So what I was told was that there was something like a quarter million men in the Iraqi popular resistance forces. What I was told is that they are mobilizing on the Iraqi-Jordanian border waiting for instructions to enter Israel. Doc, there's only two ways that they can get to Israel. They can either move through Saudi Arabia or Jordan. Um, I, I don't... I can't foresee either country giving them permission to march through their territory. Unless... Unless it becomes so great the atrocities in Gaza... The King Abdullah opens the gates and says, come on through. Pass through Jordan and go to Israel. It could also be, King Abdullah could also be fearful for his own political stability. That his own people rise up and say, uh, Your Majesty, we have brothers that want to go and rescue our brethren in Gaza. Why are you holding them back? But if it's true that there's a quarter million men massing on the border, getting ready to invade Israel, Doc, um, if they if they traverse through Jordan or Saudi Arabia, Israel's going to have to take them out. Right. I mean, once they begin moving towards Israel, Israel's going to have to take them out. How do you how do you wipe out a quarter million men on the move without using weapons of mass destruction? So if it's true you have a quarter million men on the east side of Israel, you've got Hezbollah on the north side in Lebanon, you have the Syrian army also on the northeast side. And you have Iran, you have the Persians, all preparing for action against Israel. I'm surprised that they've not made a move yet. I don't know what will be the trigger. Is it, how many babies does Israel have to kill? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going to set them off. 
They're all, everybody's watching this stuff happen. Even Macron is starting to, to upshock. Queasy, yes. Yeah, he's starting to upshock. He's going, I can't deal with this. BB, you're killing babies. Um, oh, Doc, you, you, you found this one. Uh, the Israeli President Isaac Herzog. Now, he's got his propaganda. And uh, what did he discover? Well, uh, according to him and his reports that uh, uh, he's justifying the mass killing of Palestinians by holding up a book. What book? Mein Kampf. Hitler's claimed, book. Yes, Hitler's book. And where did they find this uh, Mein Kampf? It was in a, in a kid's living room, a children's living room, Rick. So uh, The children were reading I, Hitler's Mein Kampf. I, I guess that's what they're wanting you to believe, that the kids, uh, you know, these Arab kids are sitting around reading, reading Mein Kampf. Okay, let's watch the video. It's real propaganda, folks. Tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of people supporting by their demonstrations supporting Hamas. I want to show you something exclusive, Laura. So this is Adolf Hitler's book, translated to Arabic, Mein Kampf. It's the book that led to the Holocaust and the book that led to World War II. This is the book that led to his victory in elections in, in Germany, which led to the worst atrocity of humankind, which the British fought against. Well, this book was found just a few days ago in northern Gaza, in a, in a children's living room, which was turned into a military operation base of Hamas, on one of the on the body of one of the uh, terrorists and murderers of Hamas, and he even marked. He wrote notes. He marked. He marked and, le and learned and learned again and again Adolf Hitler's ideology of hating the Jews, of killing the Jews of burning the Jews, of slaughtering the Jews. This is the real warrior act. So all those who demonstrated yesterday, I'm not saying that all of them support Hitler. But all I'm saying is by, by omitting to understand what Hamas ideology is all about, they're basically supporting this ideology. Well, the only person I see who's acting like Hitler is B.B. the baby killer. Right. Hey, you notice that uh, book was in pretty good condition considering they it found was. it under a bunch of rubble. Yeah, it's amazing. And it, had the, it still had the sticky notes in it. <laughs> That's right. Look, Man. he's taking notes in here. Oh, my. Oh, well. Uh, I mentioned uh, King Abdullah. Uh, Jordan's king rejects any Israeli plans to occupy parts of Gaza. And the king spoke out and said... Uh, his, his nation would absolutely uh, oppose Israel uh, occupying Gaza after this war. And he said the, uh, the solution starts uh, with uh, dealing with the Israeli occupation of Gaza. And, you know, I have a great deal of respect for King Abdullah. Yes. But what is he going to do to stop Israel from doing that? Well, Doc, this is what all the Arab countries have got to deal with. Israel has weapons of mass destruction, which is why this next one, I'm actually going to drop, jump down to number 41. President Erdogan of Turkey welcomed an Arab Islamic summit over the weekend, a, a summit resolution proposing the denuclearization of Israel. They're dealing with this now, Doc. 
they're realizing, they're finally coming to grips with the fact that we can't stop. The question you asked earlier, what's next? After they kill all the babies, what's next? Yes. President Erdogan, he's asking the same question. If we can't stop the Israelis from slaughtering babies, how are we going to stop them from slaughtering us with their weapons of mass destruction? You can't. They have nuclear weapons. They have they have neutron bombs. They have biological weapons. They most likely have chemical weapons. And he, the, the Arabs realize it. If if we go to war against these nutcases, they're going to turn loose all of these weapons against us. And how did the how did the Jews get their nuclear weapons? They stole the technology from America. You know, I don't care what anybody says about me. I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just speaking the truth. Um, Doc, this is. Uh, We're at a critical juncture of time for world humanity right now. I don't know if you sense it. I do. I sense there's, there are times, there are generations that can live and go through their entire life and never experience that moment in world history that is a uh, time marker, a, a place where humanity pivots going one direction or the other. We're in such a time. Um, we're, we're facing the, the, the real possibility of the mass loss of life. Yes. We're talking billions. Of billions. A war that ends with billions of people dead. That's what we're facing right now. You know, the people that listen to me and watch me, you go, why are you always talking about this war? Or, you know, you talk about Ukraine, you talk about you talk about Gaza, because we're in World War Three. Right. What is more important than that right now? There's no other talk. I can't even, I can't pay attention to politics. I, I can't pay attention to Donald Trump's legal problems. I can't pay attention to the campaigns. They're all insignificant. None of them matter right now. We're in World War Three, and one to two billion people could die in this war. That's what's at stake. And my duty as a preacher of the gospel is to call sinners to the cross, plead with sinners to come to the cross, repent of their sins, be baptized believe in the name of Jesus Christ be saved That's, and my second duty is to prepare the church the body of Christ to live through the last days that's my twin responsibilities and I can't waste time on politics it's meaningless I, I, I can't talk about issues that have no eternal value we are in 
a time when nations are going to go to war with each other using weapons of mass destruction and destruction at an unimaginable scale is going to sweep across the planet. And there will be five to six billion people will survive, but life will not be the same after the war. You have to be grounded in Jesus Christ. You have to be hidden in Christ. We're going to take a break. I'll be back in one minute. WWCR, Nashville, Tennessee, USA. You're listening to WWCR, International Shortwave Radio. You can find True News on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. And on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Hey, welcome back. We're second hour of True News. We're streaming live 12 noon Eastern Time, 2 p.m. on truenews.com, Faith and Values, uh, Rumble, Getter, X, slash Twitter, and a number of other platforms. And, of course, you can find the archives. The full archives are at faithandvalues.com. That's our platform, our membership platform, and we encourage you to become a member that makes you a sustaining uh, partner of True News, and your membership every month helps keep this ministry going. And uh, more than anything, your free will love gifts are the, uh, the bedrock of this ministry. There are various things that are keeping us so that we're using to support this ministry we've we've launched the memberships we have some advertisers but by and large the bedrock of the support of this ministry are the free will love gifts that thousands of people send every month and we deeply appreciate you doc i feel impressed to uh turn to psalm 91 uh, we were talking there just before we went to the break that this this world war that we're in is is going to result in one to two billion deaths on the planet, uh, physical destruction destruction beyond anything that we can comprehend, and a reordering of the world order. That something new will take place, a new United Nations, a un, a new world structure. Um, there will be demands. Um, that armies be uh, disarmed. There will be demands for a world army to prevent another war. Uh, where, where can you find safety? Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall find protection. His faithfulness shall be your shield and wall. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that pursues in darkness, nor of the destruction that strikes at noonday. 
1,000 may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling. There shall be no evil before you, neither shall any plague come near your tent. For he shall give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Like a lot of people quote Psalm 91 as a, um, a, a psalm of protection, which it is. But many of them miss they'll talk about the protection right I've heard many Christians say well I know what Psalm 91 says the the, uh, the pestilence will not get me the arrows will not get me I'm okay I'm okay I'm alright but you have then I ask them but have you activated the protection so what do you mean by activating that protection this is one of those if you right than I where God says Doc if you will then I will okay okay he who dwells in the shelter of the most high if if you live in the shelter of the most high God that's the if the then I will promise is shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You can't abide under the shadow of the Almighty if you don't dwell in the shelter of the Most High. The protection is available to you, but you have to come in. What I see is a lot of Christians claiming the protection, but never going in. Never dwelling in. Never dwelling in the shadow, in the shelter of the Most High. You have to enter Christ. You have to live in Christ. You're dwelling. You're being. You must be in Christ. When you're in Christ, then you have the protections. But if you're not in Christ, if you're just claiming the protections, they're not going to be activated. He clearly tells you. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will deliver me. All these promises are to those, only to those, only to those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High. And then we get down to verse 14. This is again the if and I will. 
Because he, who's saying this? This is, all, this is Almighty God saying it. Because he, because she, because you. Because he has set his love upon me. Upon the Lord. Yes. Therefore, I will deliver him. Here's the if and then. If you set your love upon the Lord, he will deliver you. If you set your love upon the Lord God, he will deliver you. I, this is God speaking, I will set him on high. Why? Because he has known my name. If you know his name, he will set you on high. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. If you call upon him, in the, in now in the New Testament, in the name of Jesus, that's, that's what gets him to answer the phone. You've got to call headquarters in the name of Jesus. If you don't call in the name of Jesus, the phone just rings. If you do it, I will deliver him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It's all dependent on dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. Abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. A lot of you have been there for a long, long time. And you know what I'm talking about. Others, you probably aren't going to learn it until the bombs are exploding. And by then it'll be too late. And it may be too late, or God's mercy may allow you to get in to his shelter. Run to the Lord. You know, we've got about 450 people every morning in our Bible study. And they want, to, they want to dwell in this shelter of the Most High. Yes. They're coming five days a week, spending an hour with us for morning manna to learn about Jesus Christ and His kingdom. They desire to be in the shelter of the Most High God. Um, we got a couple more stories. I'm going to go through these really quick. Uh, Washington Post, Ukrainian military officer coordinated the Nord Stream pipeline attack. Doc, what's this story? Well, uh, to me, this is the uh, distraction because uh, uh, what they're saying here that the senior military officer with deep ties to the country's intelligence service has played a central role in the bombing of the Nord Stream gas pipelines. What's going on? Well... They're uh, shifting the blame now to Ukraine. It, is the it, guy, means, it means we're at the end of the Ukraine war. The guy that's in the photograph, is that Roman Chervinsky? Uh, He's the guy that allegedly blew up the Russian pipeline? Well, and then the article goes on to say he didn't plan it and didn't participate in it, but somehow he's the guy they're blaming for it now. Now, what I think, and I said this to Rick earlier today, they're going to say that what happened to the Nord Stream pipeline was the greatest ecological disaster that ever occurred in the history of humanity. They're going to blame Ukraine and this guy for it, even though they didn't do it. So is this another sign that the West is done with Zelensky and Ukraine? Absolutely. We're winding this war down. So the U.S. is going to say to Russia, hey, we've been investigating and uh, 
you know, we didn't blow up your pipeline, but we wanted to find out who did it. We, we found the rascal. We found the guy. We found him. And he's, he's in Ukraine. Yeah, he's a, a, a 48-year-old colonel. And you, you guys should go get him. He's the one who did it. Don't blame us, Mr. Putin. The, the next one is Bloomberg. This is a op-ed that was published over the weekend. South Korea's lesson for Ukraine's reconstruction. And then the RT.com version of it. Ukraine can be the new Korea, says uh, ex-NATO commander. Which tells me they've already got the plan in place. They they've got the got peace the, treaty. Yeah, that's right. They Look what we did in Korea in 70 years. Imagine what Ukraine's going to look like in 70 years, Rick, and, after we rebuild And it. both sides will have nuclear weapons. <laughs> that's right. We're going to split it and have a, a DMZ and nuclear weapons on both sides. And 50 years from now, They'll still be enemies. That's the plan, folks. That's the plan. Uh, one last one here. Financial Times. Only 14% of the U.S. voters say Joe Biden has made them better off. And I don't know who those 14% are. I don't know who, who's better off. Who Who is better off? Well, Bidenomics is working for 14% of the public, okay? Um, the, the Democrats have got to push him out. Right after Christmas, folks, right after Christmas. Bye-bye, Joe. He won't be around after Christmas. We're, uh, we're going to take our break, and uh, we got an announcement coming from Genesis Gold Group, and then we'll have today's Morning Manna Bible Lesson. Are you concerned about this economic storm and how your IRA and 401k will fare during these turbulent times? Top experts are predicting now is the time to be protecting your assets with physical gold and silver. Find out why Genesis Gold Group is the number one recommended company by your favorite preppers and homestead channels. Receive Genesis Gold Group's free definitive gold guide today or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. Invite the Holy Spirit to take charge of this class. Father, Father, we thank you for this new day, this Monday. And we give you glory and honor and praise. Father, we desire to know you, to know your Son, to know your Spirit. Teach us. Teach us by your Holy Spirit, from your Word. Open up our hearts and minds to understand your precious Word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. And welcome to the Monday edition of uh, Morning Manna, and welcome to all the first-timers joining us today. And uh, we appreciate you joining us in this international Bible class. Uh, We're reading today from Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to read the first six verses here. So if you've got your Bibles, please open up. I'm reading from the King James. And it reads, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Achilla, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. 
And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. This is a very important passage here. Okay. We'll start with uh, verses 1 and 2. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. He found a certain Jew named Aquila, a man of Pontus by race, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. So last week we we studied chapter 17, and uh, the focus was Paul's engagement with the Athenians, where he used their unknown God as the springboard to tell them about the true God. So it was in Athens that he confronted the city's most popular pagan philosophers. So let's not forget why he was there. While making several attempts to travel to Asia Minor, Paul was blocked by the Holy Spirit. He experienced a night vision in which he saw a man plead with him to come to Macedonia. So wherever Paul traveled and preached, he was hounded and chased out of town by angry Jews. Athens was one city where he did not encounter strong Jewish resistance. The resistance came from pagans, although it was nonviolent resistance. They violently, they mentally resisted him <laughs> violently. Okay. Um, Apostle Luke, our narrator, of the Acts of the Apostles did not tell us how long Paul stayed in Athens, nor did he tell us how long he stayed after his magnificence on Mars Hill. As usual, Paul, I mean Luke, was eager to get to the next stop on the journey. So he brings us to Corinth. And Corinth was the uh, the capital of the uh, Achaia province. Uh, if you remember, we talked earlier a month or so ago, Rome, the Roman Empire had military provinces, provinces, states, and senatorial provinces. The military provinces obviously were, were governed by uh, generals. The senatorial provinces were governed by members of the Roman Senate. Right. That's a strange-sounding model there, isn't it? Well, you know, it's kind of like us, the United States. Don't we have... um, You're not saying we occupy countries militarily and control them, are you? We have generals running... Yeah, we have generals running uh, other regions of the world. Yeah. We're very much like Rome. Uh, now, Achaia was a uh, a, profer- a prosperous senatorial province, and it was highly desired by senators to govern. There was competition to to be appointed the governor of Achaia. It was a good it was a good job. Um, the city was a uh, 
Well, uh, the, the province was situated on an isthmus. It had two ports, uh, and that made it a major hub for trade and commerce. It's estimated that Corinth had a population of about 200,000 people when Paul was there. And as I said, it was wealthy, it, it was populous, it was known for its luxury and wealth. Silver, lead, and copper were mined in Achaia. The province also produced olives and olive oil, furniture, pottery, cosmetics, linen. And educated Greek doctors and teachers were in high demand in Rome. But there was something else about Corinth. Immorality and lasciviousness were highly prevalent in Corinth. And the people worshipped the goddess Venus and Aphrodite. Right. So Corinth's sexual immorality impacted the early church. In his first epistle to the church in Corinth, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians and said, Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So that letter to the Corinthian church gives us an insight into what Paul faced when he went to Corinth. Nevertheless, Paul was determined to carve out an assembly of believers and to establish a church. And despite its reputation for immorality and luxury, Corinth became an important base for Paul's missionary work in the region. And because it was, as we've seen in the past with other cities, because it was a significant hub for trade and commerce and the Roman governance system, it made it an ideal location for spreading the gospel out to other cities and towns. Paul looked for these hubs. He strategically focused on urban hubs. Right. Knowing that if he could get a vibrant church going, the, the trade, the, the, the business commerce, the travel, the tourism of that city would automatically take the gospel to other places. And let's not forget the financial uh, part of it, too. These urban hubs provided a, a source of revenue and resources that smaller communities didn't. It doesn't mean that the smaller communities weren't important, but it was churches like Corinth and 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 uh, others that provided funds for other churches around the region, especially Jerusalem. I mean, right. Paul several times, you know, throughout the New Testament talks about taking up offerings to take back to Jerusalem. 
uh, a church that was suffering. And so uh, it's it's interesting that Paul strategically, well, I think the Holy Spirit strategically, um, you know, chose these sinners in order to provide the the resources for the gospel to be preached. And it's all about preaching the gospel. So, Doc, you're implying that wisdom was applied. Yes. Uh, it's estimated that Paul arrived in Corinth somewhere around the year 52-53 AD. And, and what we see in in chapter 18 is that Paul Paul did two things obviously he preached Jesus Christ but he also worked he was self-employed and when he was in the city of of Corinth he met a couple Aquila and Priscilla and they were a Jewish couple uh, originally from the city of Pontus but they came to Corinth from Rome, and uh, most likely they were educated Jews who were well versed in Old Testament scriptures. Um, this, we're told that they, they left Rome because of an edict from Claudius, a Roman emperor, who ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Right. So apparently... Uh, there were some type of uh, civil unrest, disturbances, trouble that the Roman government blamed on the Jews. And and uh, so they, uh, Claudius ordered all the Jews to leave the city of Rome. Uh, Achilles' uh, name means eagle. Yes. I'm glad you brought that out. <laughs> Why? Tell me, Doc. Just, it, it was just interesting uh, that, uh, you know, I got to thinking, when I looked up the word here early this morning, I thought God raised up an eagle to uh, uh, preach to the uh, people of Corinth. So, yes. And Priscilla, um, remember a month or two ago when we talked about the gins? I think when we were talking about Cornelius. That Cornelius was a, uh, had been, given the name of a jinn. A jinn was a Roman a word for a prosperous we would call them blue bloods in America. Um, Families that go back centuries wealth, power, influence for us in America. We have names like Rockefeller and Kennedy Bush Um, so it's believed that Priscilla may have been a member of a of a jinn, of a jinn, and that she had she had influence. She had some um, she had a background, a notable background. Now, one thing the Bible doesn't tell us when Priscilla and Aquila were saved through faith in Jesus. Right. Some scholars believe their salvation occurred. After meeting Paul in Corinth, others believe that they were saved before they arrived in Corinth. It simply doesn't tell us. All we know is that they were Jews and they became vital members of the church in Corinth. Um, 
we do know from Romans chapter 16, verse 3, that the couple later returned to Rome. Yes. Which uh, suggests that they had they had ties, connections to the Christian church in Rome. And they were with Paul in Ephesus because he mentioned them in 1 Corinthians. That's right. So they, they, re, they played a very important role in Paul's ministry. Now, verse 3 tells us, and because he practiced the same trade, he lived with them and worked, for by trade they were tent makers. So Paul had a he's got a he's got a business. He's got a skill. He's a highly educated Jew from Tarsus with multiple degrees. You know, the man could have been a lawyer, he could have been a priest, he could have been anything, he could have been the high priest. Highly educated man. But he's making his living producing tents. Uh, tents made from um, either tanned animal skins or, or a fabric that was made from goat hair. But this is what Paul was doing. And it was a uh, it was a skill that allowed him gave him mobility. Yes. It was always in demand, too. Always in demand. It was a trade that he could take with him on the road. Didn't need a lot of tools. Easy mobility. Uh, a high demand for quality tents everywhere. Everywhere he traveled, there was somebody who needed a tent. And I, I, I can imagine that Paul was the best tent maker. That it, if you had a tent made by Paul, that was a designer tent. It brought top dollar because Paul didn't do anything poorly. And so if he made tents, he made the best tent you could buy. You bet. And I have a feeling, you know, <laughs> I don't know if he if he somehow um, etched it on it, you know. A tent by Paul. But I bet they had a high resale value. If somebody was selling a used tent and said, hey, look, this was made by Paul. It brought a good price. And, and, and you know what? When you, when you strive to do your best, you make your top earnings. If you want to increase your earnings, increase your productivity, increase your excellence, increase your excellence. So Paul's choice to work as a tent maker uh, was to set an example of self-sufficiency. He worked with his hands and he did it uh, so that he could say to church members 
you don't pay a dime for my upkeep. You don't you don't buy my food. You don't do anything. I am working with my own hands. And therefore, I can tell you the truth and I don't have to worry about your reaction. <laughs> that was the real reason. Because he said in other scriptures, look, I have a right as an apostle, as a teacher. I have a right to receive part of the offerings. I'm working full time for the Lord. But I'm not going to I'm not going to exercise my rights because I don't want to give up my freedom to tell you exactly what the Bible says or exactly what God is saying to you right now. It, it was it was his independence as a preacher. Um, it also demonstrates it, it shows us Paul's um, adaptability to different circumstances that he could he could easily move from city to city and stay um, solvent he knew what to do the moment he got in town I'm going to start making tents and I know how to sell them and I know where to get the get the material Right. I know where to get the leather. I know where to get the goat. I, I, I will be in business the moment I get in town. And then he was down in the in the in the marketplace. <laughs> you know, he, he rented a stand in the flea market. I've got tents for sale. It's a trade he could take on the road with him, and it made him independent. So it's it's interesting that Aquila and Priscilla were also tent makers, right? And it's they're and they were originally from the region. It says Pontus, and it's a, it's interesting how many times Pontus is mentioned in the New Testament, at least five or six times. But Pontus, why is that, Doc? Why do you know why? I don't know. There's a, a Pontus is. A, in the where Turkey is now, mm-hmm. on the Black Sea, so it was across from where Ukraine is. Okay, so the opposite side of the Black Sea, uh, Turkey's coast, and there was a large. A, after the uh, exile, uh, there were a lot of Jews that, that ended up migrating to that area of uh, the Black Sea area, and uh, that just happened to be a region where you. Uh, you had a, a lot of the right size mountains for the right kind of goats to make tents. Okay, so there was a, a large supply of, of goats and, and everything for. Uh, so that's it's interesting that Pontus was from there, but uh, had come from Rome. So I'm betting this guy probably was well off. He was probably importing skins, maybe even to Rome. And then eventually down to Corinth and everything. Uh, and so he probably had a great source of, uh, you know, supply for skins and everything. And so um, it's it's interesting. But Pontus, actually, the, the city of Pontus is mentioned about four or five times in Acts and a couple of different times in Paul's letters. So there ended up, obviously, at some point, uh, a, probably a, a large community of believers on that uh It'd be on the eastern side of the Black Sea. It's interesting. Yeah, so it's a town 
a city that we don't know much about, um, but it shows up throughout the scriptures. Yes. So it had an important role. But what we're seeing here is, again, you know, I mentioned earlier, we don't know when Priscilla and Aquila were saved. But at some point, they became believers in Jesus, and they became vital members of Paul's ministry. And they, it's almost like they they became business partners. That's what I was going to say. They, they were working together. And, you know... I, you know, I, I could see them. Um, Paul got a tent finished, and you know he had to, he had to go somewhere to preach the gospel. And Priscilla said, "Don't worry about it, Paul. We'll go into the marketplace. We'll sell the tent for you. We'll give you the money. Don't worry." And okay. it, it, it might work both ways too, because we read later on in Acts that Priscilla and Aquila go and speak to Apollos and yes. correct Apollos and teach Apollos. And right. so, so they were supporting each other, right? So, and you know they had a they had a corner on the tent trade. They they dominated the tent market. Um, you know all the <laughs> you know most of the sales went to them. The Lord directed people to them. He blessed them. Um, I think about Paul. You know he talks in different different books of the Bible. He talks about his hardships. Um, we know how often he was uh, uh, beaten and imprisoned, stoned, but he was also cold and weary. And you, you think of Paul working with his hands and his hands sore and stiff and he's making these tents and he's got to get a tent done and sell it but he's got to get over to the church and teach and counsel and the man worked day and night for Jesus Christ he wore himself out that's the Paul wore himself out for Jesus Christ I don't think there was much left of Paul physically I think that that man worked himself, we say worked to the bone. He worked himself to the bone for Jesus Christ. There wasn't a lazy bone in that man's body. He was industrious, dedicated, loyal, hardworking. And he wasn't working for himself. He was working for his master, Jesus Christ. And he didn't complain. He didn't gripe. He didn't have pity parties. He, he just got up every day and went to work again and dealt with whatever happened to him and got back out on the field and, and scored another touchdown. The man never stopped. Well, one thing we see here is the, the significance of everyday occupations, the importance of going to work every day. Right. See, I, I believe that the people in the body of Christ who go to work every day produce an income 
and contribute to ministry, to churches, to ministries. I believe you're the ones on the front line. Because preachers just can't do what they're called to do without the people who go to work every day and and produce an income and generously and joyfully donate part of it to the work of the Lord. You're on the front lines. If you're a giver, you're on the front lines. And you're the target of Satan's attacks because uh, you're, you're the logistics supply. You're the ones bringing the, the, the supplies, the food, the ammo. You're bringing everything to the troops on the, out on the battlefield. And Satan can shut you down. He can shut down the preachers. Yes. Uh, another another um, principle in here. So we see the principle of working with your hands every day to support yourself and to support the church. We see another principle, hospitality. Yes. Aquila and Priscilla were hospitable to Paul. They opened up their hearts, their home to Paul. And he found support with them. Paul was a lonely man. If you could have talked to Paul, he would have told you loneliness was the thing that that followed him everywhere he went. Um, there's one scripture where he says, all have abandoned me. Mm. All. Verse 4 doesn't really need any uh, teaching. We've, we've taught this so many times. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded Jews and Greeks. It's his... Uh, it's his habit when he goes into a new city he looks for the synagogue he goes to the synagogue every day and teaches about Jesus what is he teaching Jesus is the Messiah as promised by the prophets and he stays in the synagogue and teaches until the Jews throw him out it's the same pattern we get to verse 5 but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now, there's something interesting happening here. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And we, in verse 4... He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, every Sabbath and persuaded Jews and Greeks. But in verse 5, there's, there's a change. The presence of Silas and Timothy invigorated and inspired Paul. I think he was getting weary. In verse 4, he's weary. He's doing it by, he's forcing himself to go to the synagogue. He's making himself go. I, I think he was lacking energy and and drive and, and, and inspiration. He was doing it by sheer willpower. I'm going to go. One more time, I'm going to reach out to the Jews. But when Silas and Timothy showed up, 
presence increased Paul's enthusiasm, his energy. He became more focused, more intense. He had a a, a strong inner compulsion to preach with a new fervor. And Paul's preaching in Corinth shifted to a more intense focus on Jesus Christ. Right. His preaching style was renewed with zeal. They invigorated him. You know, my friend, can encourage preachers. You have no idea how many people discourage preachers. Oh, boy. Isn't that the truth? Wow. The biggest battle any preacher gets through is the discouragement. Yes. But when when a saint shows up with an encouraging word or an encouraging gift, it energizes the preacher. So Paul testified to the Jews in Corinth that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He he returned to his his um, core message. The Old Testament prophets foretold of the suffering Messiah. The, the Messiah had to suffer. He had to be crucified. He had to be resurrected. So he returned to that message in Athens to persuade the Jews. His energy level was boosted. His activity level was increased. And we know from other letters that they brought gifts from the Philippian church and good reports from the church in Thessalonica. And these, the good reports and the, and the good offerings encouraged Paul. It, it lifted his spirit. And it, you need to understand this. The inner impulse to preach and teach the gospel in a preacher becomes stronger when the pressure, <coughs> when the financial pressure is decreased. Yes. I can't tell you. It's difficult to place in words when a preacher has a a burning zeal to preach Jesus Christ and a calling from God and the finances are lacking. I can't explain to you the heaviness that's on that preacher's heart and mind. Right. And so... Silas and Timothy show up and they bring gifts. And suddenly Paul's like, wow, hey, we got something to work with here now. <laughs> and there's something to be there's something to be said just for having team members that are on board with you with the same vision. To encourage you. Yes. Just to have people, you know, up until then, Paul was was uh, alone. Remember when he left uh, Athens, he was alone. And and now he's got friends. And he'd been, we don't know how long this gap between the two cities, 
but he was relatively silent and focused on tent making. And obviously faced discouragement. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul wrote about his arrival in Corinth. He said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Huh, I hadn't thought about that before, Rick. Why? Why, Doc? Why was he in weakness and fear and much trembling? His state, his mental, emotional, spiritual state when he arrived in Corinth was very weak. Gosh, that means Paul... Every minister goes through that, Rick. Yes. Yes. Any, I went through it. (laughs) We go through those periods of time where it just, this is the end of it. This is, I'm done. I'm, there's nothing left of me. There's nothing else to say. There's nothing else to teach or, and, and Satan uh, applies a demonic spiritual pressure on a preacher and says, you're isolated. You're alone. You're weak. You're running out of money. Uh, you've got powerful enemies who are coming after you. You have nowhere to go. Paul said, when I arrived in Corinth, I was in weakness and fear and much trembling. Gosh, he was, he was trembling. Going through, he was going he through was depression. He was, he was going shaking. through depression. Yes, he was shaking. You got to think about this man. Here he is, maybe 50 some years old. And he's like, what has happened to my life? I'm out here alone. I'm walking roads by myself. I've got people in other cities that want to kill me. I barely have enough food to eat. This is where he was at in his 50s. See, we don't think about Paul this way, do we? But when Silas and Timothy arrived, they lifted a cloud of depression from Paul. And his energy to preach the gospel returned. So Paul's mood was downcast and influenced by external factors. He he experienced distress, affliction, weakness, fear. This all came from his past travels. By the time he arrived in Corinth, he was shaking. He, he was almost on the edge of a nervous breakdown. I know we don't want to think about a preacher like that, do we? But you have no idea what it's like. And your slightest words of encouragement are huge to preachers and teachers who are struggling to stay in the fight. So, we get to verse 6. When they opposed him and blasphemed, here we go again. When they, who's they? The Jews. When they opposed him and blasphemed, notice the change this time. He shook out his clothing and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul was, at this point, fed up with the Jews. 
He didn't give up on him, but he was fed up. He didn't give up, but he was fed up. <laughs> There's a difference in his attitude here. He refused to give up on him, but at this point, he was fed up with him. And obviously, he'd been there for a while. Because he yes. was preaching every Sabbath in the synagogue. He was reasoning with them in the synagogue. So there was, uh, I, I don't, what changed, Rick, all of a sudden, do you think? The, uh, the arrival of Silas and Timothy that re-energized Paul's message to focus yes. on Jesus? Yes, yes. so when, when, he was, when he was re-energized, when his energy came back and his zeal, and he, and he got up on his feet again and said, oh, hey. Now I'm going to tell you about Jesus. That's when the opposition came. There was not strong opposition to Paul until Silas and Timothy arrived. Their arrival energized him. And the opposition was intense. They blasphemed. They reviled Paul. They blasphemed against God. And Paul. And the shaking of garments. See, this is not rendering his garment. Rendering is to rip them. That is a sign of remorse and repentance and sorrow. Shaking the garments means I'm rejecting you. Right. I'm shaking you out. I'm done with you. You're like lint in this in this robe. I'm shaking it out. Now, to be clear, he wasn't done with all the Jews, but no. just those in Corinth. And so, uh, don't, it, don't, it, don't it, confuse. Well, I would take it. That, I would take it one step farther, Doc. He expressed his clear separation from all Jews who rejected the gospel. Yes, from starting in Corinth and to the end of his life, right. he was not going to. He was not going to tolerate them anymore. He was done with it, but yet he still continued to find Jews who would believe. Yes, but when it came to their opposition, he was finished with it, done with it. He wanted nothing to do with those who rejected Jesus. See, my friends, when you have people, friends, family, co-workers who openly, outwardly, consciously reject Jesus, you need to separate from them. Yes. I know that's hard. But when they consciously, deliberately reject Jesus, you need to separate from them. Paul declared, your blood be upon your own heads. In other words, you're guilty. I'm not I'm not responsible for what's going to happen to you. He said, I am clean. I'm innocent. In the eyes of God, I'm innocently clean. I've given you the gospel and you have rejected it. And this will lead to your own ruin. Right. He didn't compromise with him. He didn't say, well, let's just get along, you know, and everything. No, he he gave a hard message. He said, I'm done with you. I'm finished with you. 
And in our world today, yes. we, we say, well, we need to be tolerant. We need to work with folks. But there comes a time where the message itself has to be strong. And That's right. And we have to realize if, if we're holding to the gospel, we'll get gospel results. Because in just two verses, we see that the chief ruler of the synagogue gets saved. A Jew. Yes. Yes. After this hard message. That's right. He took a hard stand and some people made a decision. But for those who rejected Jesus and those who blasphemed God and those who reviled Paul the preacher, he spoke judgment on them. Eternal destruction. That's when he said, your blood is upon your head. That meant you are facing judgment that will lead to eternal destruction. He didn't say all the Jews are going to get saved before Jesus comes back. Nobody said. He said your rejection of Christ is going to lead to your eternal damnation. Well, Doc, that's it for uh, today. Okay. And we're getting a really nice uh, shower right now. I see that. I hear it in the yeah. background there. So, Can you hear it? Yes. So it's a yeah. nice gentle rain and everything. Uh, I can't see. I don't have any windows here at the office yeah. to see outside. So, um, But uh, a great lesson today, Rick. And uh, appreciate everybody joining us today. Over 400 people joining us today. 20 countries today. In and out. Uh, so... Um, so we uh, encourage you to join us each and every weekday morning, 8 a.m., for this international Bible class. And uh, invite your friends here on Faith and Values and uh, invite friends to Faith and Values so they can join us here on Morning Manna, too. And don't forget that each weekday from noon to 2 p.m. is True News. And uh, you can hear it live on truenews.com, Faith and Values, uh, Rumble, Gitter, other social media outlets. And you can always listen to archives on faith and values as well. Any final words before we depart for the morning and get to our tent-making skills, Rick? No, no, we're doing well. Um, I see Gary said they need rain in Tennessee. So uh, we have plenty of rain over here in Florida. We'd be glad to share it with you. Amen. Well, God bless everyone. Thank you for joining us this morning. And be sure to tune in tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., bright and early here on the East Coast of the United States uh, for Morning Manna. God bless you. Thank we'll you. See you, see you later today. Hey, this uh, Bible study of Acts started, oh, I would say back in July. Yes. When we were, when we were just doing a soft launch of, of Faith and Values. And it wasn't intended to be a daily Bible study. Yeah, we I remember. Were, I remember we were just day, testing the platform. I remember the first day we had fifty people. We thought we were really wow. excited, <laughs> but we were just testing the platform. Just we said, okay, let's do a let's do a live Bible study and and just try the uh, you know the Faith and Values platform. Well, it was very successful, and people said, let's do it again tomorrow, and then let's do it again the next day, and here we are now, and late uh, November and over 400 people are gathering every day we're, we're into the 18th chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles 
You know, it kind of reminds me of those old-fashioned revivals that we used to have that just started up out of the blue yeah. and then just kept going and yes. kept growing. And so in a lot of ways, this was like an online revival taking place. It is. And when you study the Word of God, you will be revived. Yes. You can't have revival without a study of the Word, without a preaching of the Word. The Word brings revival. If you need revival in your life, then you need the Word. The Word will bring revival. Amen. Folks, what are you facing in your life? And you need a revival from heaven. You need the Word. Get into the Word of God and revival will come to your life because the Word is alive. Join us every morning, 8 a.m., Monday through Friday at faithandvalues.com for Morning Manna, 8 a.m. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thank you for listening to Worldwide Christian Radio, WWCR, Nashville, Tennessee, USA. You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find True News on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.